Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of the Behave Podcast. My name is Munyahoto, and I'm the VP of Marketing here at SiteSafe. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Janet Roberts, the Global Head of Security Education and Awareness at Zurich Insurance Company. Janet, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm so delighted, and I think our audience is in for a real treat. How did you end up as the Global Head of Security Education and Awareness? And please feel free to take us back as far as you'd like in terms of this journey and this amazing career that we've had. I started uh, working in security awareness in 2010. There was about maybe 200 people globally doing this work, and at least 95% or more of them came from an IT background. They were sort of told, okay, you need to do something about these pesky humans who keep clicking, and, you know, it's 10% of their job. And myself, I was, uh, I come from a journalism and communications background. I was working at a domestic U.S.-based insurance company, and I was in the corporate communications department, and one of my corporate customers was security. And the then CISO uh, kept asking me, you know, to help with more and more, and I found it really fascinating, but I was only supposed to give him 10% of my time. And so finally, he said, well, I think I want you to come over here and build a security awareness program. And I literally said, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know what this is. Don't you want someone who knows what it is? I didn't realize not very many people were doing this. And he said, well, here's the deal. I can teach you as much security as you need, but I can't teach the security people to communicate in a way to employees that they understand. So, and early on, no one was really bringing folks like me. And now it's, you know, kind of the standard and beyond. And so I dove in having absolutely no idea what I was doing, but pretty excited about it and went to boot camp essentials and went to all these courses and started to meet people, some of whom I still know today. And, you know, there's, there, we're still good friends and built a small program with no budget. And, but it was great. It was like a sandbox and I could be creative in it. And the fact that although I'm really excited about where the profession's gone and I love it. It was exciting back then in a, a different way that no one was taking it super seriously. Um, they were annoyed by human risk, but you know this wasn't a profession yet, not really. And so we were all kind of out there just getting creative, sharing ideas, being collaborative and trying to figure this thing out. So it's been fun for me to be on the journey of every step as it grows, as it gets titles, as things develop. And I went from that small um, company to a global uh, credit card company and did a redesign for them. And while I was doing that, Zurich Insurance started to come and ping me and asked me to come because they had no program at all. I don't think I really understood how big they were, <laughs> but I came in and um, built their program from, from zero. Wowza. Okay. Well, we will touch on that. We'll touch on that. But I think a lot of people would benefit uh, Janet, from just understanding what does the global head of security education and awareness okay. do? Um, and then, of course, we'll ask about, you know, building versus redesigning. But, but tell us a little bit more about the job itself. Well, the job is is rather massive. I try to think of it in small segments or I might actually overwhelm myself. But um, it is very different. Having done this, my third program, I will say that a multinational is a much different animal and pace. And you know, responsibility than doing it for a smaller 500,000, 5,000 or less employees. Um, so there is a difference. Also, there's a difference if you have to understand multiple cultures or you only have to understand U.S. or only U.K. or whatnot, because then you're 
looking at things from the perspective of will it will it work across cultures? So in addition to, I have a, t- a team of four people, they're outstanding and um, they make me look good every day. And in addition to us building training and all the obvious things we would do, we work really hard to make sure the training is culturally acceptive, you know, accepted across the board. You might find this uh, interesting, but I learned at one point that the British accent is really acceptable all over to everyone and they find it <laughs> trustworthy. Okay. It's kind of funny. I yeah. I, I can't remember where that research came from, but I'll look for it for you, Munya, because Probably I always think that's great. And once in a while when I have an American team say, you know, oh, it's a British accent, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Everybody likes that. Uh, so we, we do look at how to be culturally relevant and then we try to take the things that we build and we have ambassador teams, and we can we can talk about that. But in addition to building, developing, training, uh, packaging it, delivering it, it to 80,000, 100,000 people and contractors globally, I also have to answer, I'm in a highly regulated environment. So I often have to be on with auditors. There's multiple audits that happen, and I have to produce pieces of my um, training as artifacts. So we really have to make sure that we're keeping good records and archives of what we do. Uh, When I produce artifacts, some of the phishing is is privacy. You know, it's private and we don't have a big audience that gets those reports. So we have to make sure that it's password protected and we be careful what we give. And also sometimes explaining and, and spending time with auditors so that they understand maybe what they conceptually think I should be doing. Is it is what we are doing or maybe isn't what we can do or, you know, lots of things like that. So I have to work with a lot of audit. I work a lot with communications folks to try to make sure that we're communicating out well and we're connecting with them. So I do a lot of relationship building and and building a network and working with people, getting on meetings and trying to explain what we do. And when I came to Zurich, my big job requirement was that we be part of cyber because I had been stuck in other groups before and it was hard. And Mm -hmm. so we are part of what Zurich calls the cyber fusion center. That means that I work closely with threat intelligence and AppSec and all of those people. And I build those relationships and I work very hard to try to not just do something, but to say, we're going to be doing this. Let's go through our partners. Let's Make sure those, you know, the CISO teams globally, which of which there are five, are informed. So a lot of my day is spent around that. I also have responsibilities, let's see, audit and training and problem solving. And I also have to make vendor decisions, something that takes a bit of time. At least I take it seriously. So we often just recently, because I'm very interested in nudge behave, nudging behaviors, Um, We did a deep dive with our information security strategy team to look at four vendors that were doing that and decide, um, sort of bucket how they're doing it and decide what's appropriate for Zurich as a whole, not one one Zurich business unit or another, and um, came out with that. So there's a lot of, I have to build the strategy. I work with Cyber Threat Intel to decide the topics that we're going to teach and we're going to give to our ambassador teams based on what Zurich either might be seen or is seen out in the wild to other companies like us. And we want to be ahead of that. And so um, a lot of my job is um, 
building relationships with people, key people, important people that then I can have these discussions with to make sure that the entire program, all the pieces are tailored to Zurich. I'm not just dropping plug and play. I'm tailoring things to what Zurich needs. I don't get to do as much of the hands-on creative stuff anymore. I like, I don't actually fish. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I wanted to a couple times after I hadn't done it in a few years and my team's so nice. And they, they kind of said, could you just not touch that please? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, because you're kind of haven't done it in a while, but we have a pretty, um, yeah, we have a pretty robust program, but there's a lot of arms, you know, to that, that I, that I work closely with some key people. And I'd have to say, when you when you said you have a team of four that's delivering all of that, that, that scares me. I don't know when you guys rest or sleep because that sounds <laughs> full on and, and, probably, and, and, and hectic. I'm sure, like, <laughs> yeah, they've been scared before too. Like I have to, you know, but they're so good. What I do is each of them does global work, but they're responsible for a region. I'm probably not the team to come to if you can't work independently because we just don't have space, you know, but they are really just smart and creative and, and independent and um, they know their stuff. Now, that sounds amazing. Janet. You know, and, and I hope you don't mind me saying, but you are one of the very few people who can genuinely be thought of as a security awareness veteran. You know, you, you, you uh -huh. were early on, you know, when it yeah. was the first 200, let's say, and you've been building and running these programs since 2010, as you just described. What are some of the changes you've seen in the job over that time? Oh, wow. I've seen a lot of changes. And I also think that security awareness, you know, unlike some, some roles where there's a tool and there's metrics and you plug, you know, it's a little more linear. In security awareness, you have to be a, a person who likes change and movement and, and working in the gray space, not in the black and white space. And mm -hmm. so even though I've been around a long time and I'm, you know, kind of an old school old veteran or whatever I am. I always, every year, look, what is the new thing that's here? And is it applicable to Zurich? Does it work mm. for Zurich? And is it um, something that works across a multinational? So I might see something that's hip and cool and and is brought to me and I'll say, well, it's all American slang. It's kind of American humor. It's probably really appropriate for an American business unit. It's not going to work globally, even though I laughed and I thought it was cool. And so I like to, uh, with my team, to, the, to our ability to find new ways to do different things. And I think that that's a key thing. But where I've seen it come from is people just trying to figure out how to get noticed as a profession and as a legitimate thing. And then we're, I think we still struggle with what I call the fishing obsession, where, you know, that's, that's it because it produces quantitative metrics, not qualitative. And then also the, the work to make it understand it's not about the clickers. It's about the reporting onlys, you know? Um, so I've seen some things that are still a struggle, but are better. And I've seen some things that have made some really great movement into topic areas. But I've also seen this really interesting evolution in, in the vendor side, mm. uh, vendors used to show up to me maybe five years ago and they'd say, I've got the solution for all your problems. <laughs> I'm going to email all of your employees a link and they're going to get <laughs> to cool video, or maybe a net, maybe a newsletter or maybe a, a game or something like that. And I would say all of my employees are going to report you using a fish reporter button because they've been told if you email them a link and they don't, it doesn't come from, you know, so that doesn't work. And now I see vendors working really hard 
to come in through different ways, you know, or to SCORM package things that we can upload into, you know, our system. And that's much easier than in the past when I had to say, no, you know, you, you have to adjust. We can't use you. You know, these are the way, these are the reasons why the operational reasons why. And a change in, I see all these really active and interested and energetic people out there uh, trying to do the work. I see a lot of buzzwords and a lot of things like that, but I, I think my peers in cyber tell me that now that makes us a legitimate profession, that we have <laughs> buzzwords and people with making interesting titles for themselves and have they ever built a program? And I said, you know, this is really inter- wild. This is crazy. And my, my, all my cyber peers said, welcome to the party now. I think, I think that's hilarious. Um, and and you, you just said so much there. I would love for us to dive, deep dive into just a global context and this idea of cultural nuance and, and having ambassadors in different regions. That's seeing that it, that sounds important. And it's not impossible. I will say this. I'm an American who only speaks English and has really bad French from my little bit of high school French, right? But I said to myself, you're going to teach yourself to think like other people in other countries. And it has been not only good for the program, it has been the most amazing growth experience for my life. Mm-hmm. I now have friends in other countries who help me see things through a different lens, and then it empowers me to be better at my job. That's really cool. And and, and just now I'm touched on this idea of, you know, innovative, shall I call them, job titles and, and, and buzzwords, et cetera. Uh, you gave us um, quite a clear kind of journey through your career. You built two programs and redesigned one. When you approach that type of work, which is, I imagine, deep work because of the context in which it happens, you're doing it against the backdrop of technological evolution, where the channels that people use and the speed of innovation and technology as it stands, and even from the threat active, is so rapid that you're chasing both relevance in terms of culture, but relevance in terms of kit and technology. Do you have a template, a framework that you apply when structuring a program, or has each program been bespoke for the organizations in question? Well, I believe a program should be bespoke because no company is a blueprint for another company. You can have some basic baseline. So for basic baseline, I use the SANS maturity model. I, I, I think it's a good baseline. And the thing I like about it, and I've used it multiple times this way. So anybody trying to talk to leadership, this is what I do. <laughs> I take that baseline and I make little red arrows and, and with a year. And I say, this is where we were in 2015. And then I make an arrow and I say, this is where we are now this year. And this is where we have to go. And it's very simple. And then each year I move the arrow to show where we went. Or if the arrow doesn't move, I tell them the arrow didn't move because we still have to solve these problems to get that moved, you know. And it's, yeah. it's a quick, in two seconds, you can make, make an understanding there we were nowhere and now we're here and that's a good thing. We need to get here and here's the, you know, problems that we need to solve. So in that sense for a template, maybe I use that a big proponent of you, you've got to be part of cyber. Cyber is the feeder stream for the things that actually come and hit the employees that they see that happen to them. And then cyber turns around and says to you, this is what's happening. This is what the employees are facing. This is what they need to learn. Until I went fully remote and moved, I 
stood every day next to Justin Wright, our head of cyber threat intelligence, who is one of my friends. And Justin would look at me and say, hey, Janet, we're seeing a little bit of, you know, business email compromise attempts. What have you got? And I'd look and I'd say, you know, a couple years ago, uh, we don't have much. We only have a tip sheet. Let's see how we can work on that. And then yeah. my bring the topics that he and I would talk about to the team. And I'd say, how can we do a bite-sized campaign on these key topics? Because Threat Intel is seeing this. And the tools that keep moving and changing, you're going to make friends with the people in cyber who roll out the CrowdStrike, who roll out the Splunk, who roll those things out. And you're going to be able to say to them, here's my fish training program rolled out. Let's talk together about how automation can happen, how different mm. things can happen. There's just so much knowledge and cyber folks really understand what you're trying to do in security awareness, that it's very important to have controls. Governance is super important and policies, but the employees in the most simple form, those employees have to look at education or training they have to absorb it, retain it, and act on it. And then when their behavior changes, the culture changes. So I do see a lot of people out there going, culture change, culture change. And I'm like, that's really cool. That's the end. That's the goal. Yeah. But in between, is your, position, is your program in the right spot? Are you talking to the right people? Are you then building education that they will look at, absorb, and retain? Are you making some of it relevant work and home and all that? And then can you look and see if they're acting on it? And that's where the metrics you talked about comes in to being difficult and, you know, things that you work on to try to figure out if they're retaining and acting on it, you know, um, and everybody's working towards that. Everybody is. Now, that's really interesting. And, and you, know, you, you know, you talk about this idea of the importance of being aware of the end, but not trying to start at the end. Um, because yeah. this is this is a process and this is a maturity, you know, maturity model that you're trying to implement over time. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other common pitfalls that, you know, people like yourselves encounter when building programs, you know, what are the things that, that, that actually tend to torpedo or, um, or, or ruin a program, let's say? <laughs> I would say a couple things. Okay. Uh, first of all, when you come in to build a program, everybody has an opinion and they often come from them going to a conference where they get the end goal or That's the buzzword right. and mm -hmm. they come back and they say, why don't we have this? And I say, because we don't have these 20 things that have to happen before we get to this because we're just building the program. And so you really have to be, have a, a spine and hang, hold your background. You listen to them and you appreciate their opinions. And then you say, you be, need to be able to say to them, well, that's a great goal, but we don't have these key elements to get there, but we're working on that. And you, you keep trying to, to build that. I just um, went on vacation and had lunch with a longtime security awareness friend who is great. And uh, we got into an interesting discussion about people labeling themselves as, as like influencers and thought leaders, which I think is interesting. And I probably don't have the confidence to do it, but it looked kind of, kind of wild. And um, we started to talk about what makes you be able to be at that level, you know, or to the gravitas that you might need to be there, right? And I think we both agreed that the first year that you do a program, if there's nothing there, everything you do is like, wow, we've got something, you know, yeah. and the next year, it's kind of the same. You're a bit have the wow factor. By the time you hit year three, and when you get into year six, seven, and eight, you're working now against, okay, you've got five wows, and I want this, or you're yeah. working 
towards um, having to make sure that you keep the momentum going, that you keep the engagement going, and you're basically in the trenches. And mm-hmm. so I would say if you want to be an influencer, thought leader, or whatever, then get there and get in the trenches and kind of, you know, sweat it out and all that and then bring that forward. And you're definitely are one. I think that it just made an interesting discussion that I hadn't had with anybody before about, well, well, where is the point where you're you're maybe like, oh, this is really hard. I'll go try it somewhere else or I'll try it mm. somewhere else. Or where is this like now I'm in there and it's really hard, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to really like sweat it out and make it. Yeah. You make a very good point. Yeah, loads of good people, but better than me. I'm not, I'm not sure there are many people better than you, but I, I, I definitely oh. take the point that you, that you make. Well, Lance Gibson calls me a grizzled veteran. I'll say that right on camera because he knows he does. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I take that honorably. You know, I'm going to get um, a little bear bear skin or something for that. Um, and loads of respect for Lance, and he was actually our very our inaugural guest on the Behave Podcast, which is you know, for them. I think you're right. That's that. You know, when you're new in in, in in building something, whatever you do at that point is exceptional uh, because in, in many cases it has never been done before. It, was, it yeah. wasn't there. Uh, but, but, but soon after that, it becomes expected. And, mm-hmm. and so you go from exceptional to expected yeah. very quickly with every And then what? Thing. And then what? Well, that was nice. What's your next trick? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and you can't always magic up new tricks. You know? <laughs> My team starts planning CSAM in April. Because that's a massive event for us, right? So we yeah. start talking in April and there's always the conversation of, okay, we, we always know we're going to take four bite-sized campaigns and make them weekly themes for the reiteration. We know that we're going to do a lot of things on workplace posts and stuff like that, but we have historically brought them something, a scavenger hunt game or something to mm-hmm. do, right? And so after a while, you're like, well... Should we rehab that thing we did before? The budget's a little here, or should we try to get this, or should we make a contest? You know, but I would say, and I've heard Lance say this, and I I fully 100% agree with him on this. And that is, and he said it, I believe, on your podcast, that we are not in the entertainment business. There is a difference between engaging employees and just entertaining. If you are just putting up mini TikTok things all over your workplace and stuff, that's nice. But what you need to be able to do is always know that if you're in the elevator with the CEO and he says, hi, who are you and what do you do? That you aren't saying like, I bring in speakers and I put up videos and I do this and that. You're basically able to talk about strategy and, yeah. and hurdles and things that you're, you're accomplishing and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's really important. And that's a very nice segue into my next question, because when we speak to experienced professionals like yourself, we commonly hear that boards and senior leadership are demanding more in terms of metrics and quantifiable impact. Is that something you're experiencing and how are you managing that expectation? Um, everyone experiences this, you know, and and the pressure comes down from that to to my GCSO and, and, you know, from other CISOs and then to myself and also to the CISO teams, you know. Initially, there's quantifiable things and that's m- mostly phishing, but now that we have things like Facebook at work, or some people use Yammer, or some people use other things, you can go on the back administratively and you can pull some um, influencing, like, are you influencing them? How many likes, how many shares, you know, you can pull some sort of quantitative, qualitative sort of things mm-hmm. there. You know, um, Some of it, a lot of it is qualitative in that ambassador teams take our stuff and put it out 
in the channels where people actually consume them, but we can't really track all those channels. It might be a little newsletter way out in Indonesia or whatnot. So then how do you pull these things together? We do make KPIs, but sometimes, and often they do fall to phishing. So everybody is working on this. I think in the phishing sector alone, where the maturity has come and, and what we're working towards is you can train all you want and you can say our resiliency is low, our reporting's up, the behaviors are changing, but unless you can then see how they apply that training on the endpoints, mm. you don't really know if you move the behavior and the culture. And so there's a lot of work now that we're doing and others are doing to sort of create that bridge, you know, to say, here's the training metrics, here's the performance on the endpoints. How do we how do we analyze that and how do we talk about that to see that change? Training completion rates are mostly uh, for auditing purposes, but also we do look at how can we improve that. And we're using a lot of workplace uh, metrics. We're doing more and more campaigns on one topic on workplace and then looking at the metrics from behind and seeing if we improved in that way. But I, what I would say is the hard part is a lot of times in a company, especially if, if people are looking at things linear, linear, black and white, you know, there's a tool, you know, you turn it on, it does things, the, the metrics come out the other side. And in security awareness, you're talking about humans. There's a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this, and you're trying to find ways to mesh it together. Um, I think people in big multinationals who have big teams might be able to, you know, assign someone just kind of doing this kind of work. Most people have one person, two people. I have four. I'm kind of lucky there. And we are doing a great job with it. But um, I think the future of it is that security awareness teams are going to need someone who's a data analyst, maybe mm. 10% time they you know uh to take on all the disparate different places that we're pulling metrics from a few vendors are going in the direction of either they're offering uh nudging and training and then there's a hookup via api which gives some very interesting metrics because it hooks up in a couple places mm. or they're just hooking up and giving you know lots of interesting metrics mm. not a lot of people are doing that. The cost is kind of high. We, this is what we did a big uh, assessment on with our strategy teams found that what we have to look at is, is training offered with it. And then is that kind of uh, globally, culturally applicable? How is that being done? Or is it, and does it fit in a five-year strategy? This is something that security awareness officers should be thinking. They're thinking of the emergency and the problem at the moment. What is your five-year strategy? And, you know, if you can build one and show leadership, you're going to have a little more buy-in. So in a five-year strategy, I'm not going to ask employees to play like the same kind of game all the time or, you know, do that sort of thing. Um, my personal um, professional opinion is that the way to go is to use these tools to nudge employees and say, look, the, we hooked up in all these places and the metrics show that you are great at understanding business email compromise and you're a little bit weak on ransomware and immediately mm -hmm. the employee's like, what, you know, and here's a little micro learning. So in the moment when they're a little shocked and then they take the micro learning, they've just taken responsibility 
to train themselves and the retention right. I think is I haven't tested it yet. It's going to be a lot higher because they're now owning that completely themselves and remembering it because it was a little disturbing that um one of their nudge, you know, whatever tool nudged them said they didn't quite get it on something here. That's my opinion, but it is when you're trying to do it across multiple cultures, you probably are going to have some people who say, "Oh, that was great," and some people are call who are like upset because you told them they weren't good at something. So, you know, you're going to have all this going on. You've got to just really um, have a, a great change management plan and, you know, communications outward. And we're not there yet, but I think that for all, for not just, I'm not speaking for Zurich, I'm speaking as a security awareness professional, all companies, I think this is the way that it's going to have to go to get the appropriate metrics and to get the culture change that that is needed to be there. And we couldn't be more philosophically aligned on what you just described. I wish I could just bottle that. I'm glad we're recording a podcast uh -huh. because I'm going to I'm going to listen back on that. And, and, and in general, I think that is the way that this goes. So really delighted to hear somebody with your pedigree kind of um, speaking in that direction. Uh, you've been so generous with your time. I've got one more question for you and then I will, I will let you go. My audience is always wondering, you know, when they listen to somebody who's, who's, who's got the battle scars, not just improving programs or... or, or or, or redesigning them, but actually building them from scratch. What makes an effective leader in this space? What do, you, what do you look out for and what attributes do they need? Over my years of watching some people want to get into this game and some people get into this game and be really great at it, I'm going to say that, uh, first of all, if you're a very linear black and white thinker, there's awesome places for you to work in information security, but security awareness is not the place for you, you know, um, because it's constant change. It's constant requests from stakeholders. It's constant movement. It's constant um, assessing a human audience. It's good to have self-awareness. All people should. And it doesn't mean that you're not good at something else, but if you're a rigid kind of thinker or you're not jumping on the first next cool chat GPT or social media or LinkedIn, or, you know, you're just not in that mix, even if you just kind of check it out, um, then you're not going to be able to teach your employee audience how to manage the things, the things that they're using in their life. I'm not going to tell you I'm always good at this, but uh, you do have to have a strong spine and you do have to stand up for what you, you think. And you're, you have to trust in your own knowledge and professionalism. And then you have to try to uh, handle everybody's an expert in the right way so that they become someone that works with you, mm -hmm. you know, rather than against you. It's easy for me to say these things because I have a global CISO and um, regional CISOs and a VP of cyber who are super supportive of what I do, you know, and I understand that some people are not in that position. Now, I would say I have been prior sometimes in my professional life, not in that position. And then I build a network of people around that to, you know, make the program work. The better that your program works, the more strength that you have. Um, but it's, it's not for the faint of heart. And uh, it's also does require some, a lot of right brain, you know, thinking, uh, you know, and I would say you learn in life, you learn more from your failures and your mistakes than you do from your successes. And I've certainly had my own and I've taken that moment to try to say, 
what did I do right here and what did I do wrong and how can I improve myself and have some self-awareness in, in that situation. Jan, some fantastic advice there for my audience and ever so grateful for the time that you spent okay. with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank it you. was so nice of you to invite me. I appreciate that. <laughs> no, no, you'll be back. Trust me. You will be back oh, because I'm not, yeah. I'm, not done, I'm not done with a few of the topics you raised. But <laughs> You're not done with me yet. Not at all. Not at all. Um, to my audience, uh, my guest today has been Janet Roberts, Global Head of Security, Education and Awareness at Zurich Insurance Company. Um, what a treat, Janet. Thank you once again so much and see you on the next one. Okay. See you on the next one.